you've got a Bible, you turn with me to Acts chapter 5. If you've not got a Bible, the reading will come up there on the, on the screen, or you might find one in uh, one of the back box things on the, the seats. Um, Acts chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 17, just for any visitors. We're working our way through um, the book of Acts, just looking at it verse by verse, and uh, we're going to be reading from verse 17. Um, I thought we might have got to the end of the chapter, but we're going to just finish around about verse 32. And as we hear this read, we remind ourselves that it is the Word of God. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go. Stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard, guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I'll leave the reading at that point and pray. Look at God's word together and pray for his blessing. Jealousy. Jealousy is a terrible thing. 
It causes people to act in ways that are hurtful, that are damaging, and actually can appear to have no rhyme nor logic to them. Or to it, sorry. We will see more of that this evening. When in Genesis 37, we, we, we see how Joseph's brother, brothers, who are consumed by jealousy and envy, sell him off as a slave and pretend to their father that he is dead. Actions that far go beyond anything that we could ever begin to understand. And here we are in Acts, and in verse 17, we read that the high priest and his associates, who were all Sadducees, that was a particular Jewish sect which made up what was known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the council that ruled the temple. So we are really talking here, friends, and we need to grasp this, we are really talking here of the religious establishment or part of the religious establishment of the day. And when they hear, and when they no doubt witnessed everything that has been happening in Jerusalem, of how many people are coming to faith, of how people were being healed on the streets, of how crowds were gathering together, we read that the religious establishment of the day were filled with jealousy. And again, as I said, the religious establishment of the day. They should be rejoicing. Oh, they should be glad in what is happening. God is on the move. But what we see at play here is, a, is as one writer says, the age-old conflict between living truth and dead tradition. And this jealousy has an impact upon the disciples and upon the early church. Perhaps, indeed, certainly not the one that the Sanhedrin had anticipated, maybe even hoped for. One is just to consider three things regarding the apostles that came from this jealousy. The first and very simple thing is that the apostles were jailed. Verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse 18 shows us that this time it is not just Peter and John that were put in jail. We saw that a couple of chapters ago. But also the other apostles. And they're put in jail because they had been, as we saw last time, showing great power and performing many miracles and wonders and signs. People were being healed. People were being saved. And now what we see is that here is these religious leaders seeking to use their power. And as often happens... Even still today, 
mixed with political power to attack the church. And they think that by locking up these apostles, these disciples, and by bringing them to trial, that they can silence them and crush them. As I said, this is not just something that happened back then. Sadly, this still goes on even today. We have in some places in this country where both political and religious pressure is being put on believers. Perhaps not to the extent of being thrown in prison, though there have been in recent times street preachers that have been arrested and, and other Christians that have been denied what we would see as certain basic rights. Indeed, through the post this very week, as I, I was studying and preparing this chapter, I received information from the, the Barnabas Fund uh, regarding the dangers to religious freedom here in this country today. As Christians, we need to wake up and we need to smell the coffee. And isn't just, and I'm not decrying like the Barnabas Trust with their petitions and such like, but brothers and sisters, we need to humble ourselves, we need to pray and we need to seek God's face. Let me give you just a couple of examples. In 2017, a Crown Prosecution Service lawyer claimed that publicly quoting parts of the King James Bible in modern Britain should be considered to be abusive and as a criminal matter. Doesn't that shock you? Doesn't that say, God, we need to get on our knees and pray? In 2016, a student who had fled persecution in Africa was thrown off a university social work course in the UK because of a Facebook post affirming a traditional Christian view of marriage. And it goes on. And these are not just isolated incidents. These are incidents that believers are facing today. And as many of you will be aware, through, through the work of Open Doors and, and in, of the Barnabas Fund, things are even worse in other parts of the world. Indeed, today, right now, as we sit here in the warmth, in the comfort, open Bibles, freely preaching, freely praising God, there are others, others who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are languishing in prison. Some are being tortured. Some are being denied food. Some even 
today are still being martyred. And as we work our way through the book of Acts, we will see the rise of persecution. And persecution, in one form or another, is part and parcel of the Christian life. Paul, writing to Timothy, tells him, and it would still stand today, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you want to live a godly life? Then be prepared for persecution in whatever form that it might come. And that is what we are seeing happening here at the beginning of the life of the church. And it has been the case down through the years and it will be the case until Christ returns. And here are the apostles locked up for the night because they are being obedient to Jesus' word. What's going to happen? How would you feel in that situation? You're doing what God's told you to do and the next minute you find yourself locked up. The apostles were jailed. Secondly, we see that the apostles were delivered. I was actually going to use the heading that the apostles escaped, but actually as I, as I thought it through, I, I, I'm not quite sure that's what happened. Because to escape kind of usually infers that the escapee did the work. Either they dug a tunnel or, or whatever, or bribed the guards or, or whatever. That's not what happened here. As you read this account, you can see clearly from verse 19 that it was an angel who opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. So, so they didn't escape. They were delivered. It's also interesting to keep in mind that, that the Sadducees, that is those who are behind this jailing, those who are behind this persecution, they, neither they believed in angels, nor did they believe in the resurrection. Two main thrusts of this account, Acts 23 verse 8 makes that clear. And there can be no mistaking that this is an act of deliverance, and it is an act of deliverance that was of God's doing. Because you see, without God's intervention, without this angel coming and opening the prison door, they would have been in jail all night. And we read, <coughs> we read of angels appearing often in Scripture. We read of them often appearing actually in Acts. John Calvin in his commentary says this, God using an angel for his purpose was quite normal. It's quite normal. Throughout Scripture, angels come and minister 
God's kindness towards us. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that angels are ministering, ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So this angel comes. We're not told anything about him or anything about his appearance or whatever, but he comes and he delivers them from the prison, but he also gives to them an instruction, a command. He says this, <coughs> Go, stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. Now, now we'll kind of, if we park that just now, we'll, we'll come to that in, in, in our next point. Well, let's just think a moment or two on this deliverance. I believe that there is no other reason other than it was a miracle of God. And that it must have brought to the apostles a real sense of, of, of God's hand being upon them, a real sense of, of, of God protecting them. And as we see, they were delivered. However, and, and I often do this in my studies and such like, God does not always act in this way. And indeed, some are not delivered from their particular prison. Some, even this morning perhaps, are feeling locked up in, 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 in a particular pr prison, metaphorically speaking. And what this miracle shows us, brothers and sisters, is that God can, should he wish, deliver us. Our task, is to trust him, even in the most difficult of situations. I think we see that kind of attitude exemplified, if you like, in, in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 3, in, in, in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You, you, you recall how they were threatened and then they were indeed put, not, not in a prison, but put in a fiery furnace. What was their response? If we are thrown in to the blazing fire, if we are put in the prison, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They show both faith he is able and obedience still 
still we will serve him. And it's been my experience personally and, and, and pastorally where I have seen and I have witnessed the power and the presence and the peace of God as much in a situation where he has delivered somebody from a particular prison or where he has equally graciously sustained while in that prison. One writer makes the point that the miraculous that the miraculous deliverance or not, our primary responsibility is to be obedient to God. Let me ask you, whatever prison you find yourself in this morning, know that God can free you from it or he will sustain you in it. They were jailed. They were delivered. And then notice of how the apostles preached. God delivered them. And with that deliverance, came a command. I notice what they are told. Go. Go. Stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. I don't know if when you do your own Bible reading and your own quiet time, which I trust you have every day. But I don't know if you, if at times you're reading and, and, and there's just certain words or certain phrases that just kind of jump out the page to you. Don't literally jump out the page, but they really speak to you in a particular way. The phrase that struck me as I studied this whole passage this week was that little phrase, the full message. Go preach, teach the full message. They are told to go to the temple courts. That is, they are to go to the very center of the Jewish faith and tell the full message. They were not to water it down. They were not to make it somehow more palatable. They were not just to be people pleasers, letting itching ears hear what they want to hear. They could not, and they must not, and they dare not change the message that's been given to them. 
Now I guess, I guess that it might have been a temptation. You see, this is the second time that some of them have been imprisoned. Yet we see in verse 25 that there they are at the place where they are told to go doing what they're told to do. I, I did have a fourth point this morning about their obedience, but we'll pick that up the next time. And of course, we know that the high priest and his associates, they're far from happy. They're not knowing that they're actually doing this, which says a lot about them. And so what they do is in the morning, they send to the jail for them, only to be told that, um, well, actually, they're, they're in the temple courts. And they go and they bring them to the Sanhedrin and they charge them with filling Jerusalem with all this kind of teaching, the, 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 the making us guilty of this man's blood. They can't even mention the name of Jesus. Making us guilty of this man's blood. And then what we have in verses 29 through to 32 it's what we have already seen a couple of times in Acts regarding the preaching of the apostles. And it's actually good basic rules for anybody that is involved in preaching. Peter, and with him all the others, they begin with the question that's been asked. They begin with where their audience is at. And then the facts of actually what happened are stated. And Christ's death and resurrection are proclaimed. And the offer of salvation is given. You see, the message preached is the same one since Pentecost. It is the full message. And the apostles preach it fearlessly and boldly, whether that is in the temple courts, whether that is in the marketplace, whether that is in the Sanhedrin. The message doesn't change. And did you notice, friends, how it is a message that brings, as verse 6 reminds us, New life. <laughs> New life. It's a message that is, that is based on the death and on the resurrection, and the two go together, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is a message that tells of the need for sins to be forgiven. And brothers and sisters, it is a message that needs to be preached as much today as it was back then and it needs to be proclaimed in all of its fullness. You and I have no authority whatsoever to water it down or to, to change it or to take out parts that may not be so appealing. And you and I today are called to go. Gospel begins with go. We are called to go to the equivalent of our temple courts. 
and tell the people the full message. For it is that and that alone which brings new life. And yes, <laughs> yes, it might be tempting in, in order uh, not to offend, but remember the gospel's an offense, but there is a kind way of offending. But it may be tempting in order not to offend, or, or well, you know, it's kind of old-fashioned. <laughs> or actually, you know, we need to win them first. And all kinds of reasons that we could come up with. But brothers and sisters, if we don't tell the full message, then we are not being faithful to God and we are not being honest with people. If we don't tell people about the awfulness and the bad news about sin, how are they ever going to grasp the wonder and the need of salvation? You see, the gospel, the good news, the message of new life, it's only good because it usurps the bad news that without Christ we are lost and helpless and hopeless and bound for hell. That's the full message. That's the full message. And going back to our first point, that's not something that is seen as politically correct today. To proclaim, to proclaim the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ in regards to salvation is not what many politically and sadly even religiously want to hear. Yet it's Jesus who says, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is part of the full message that brings new life. Do you know this new life? I'm not asking if you know about it. Do you know it? And if you do know it, and if you have truly grasped the wonder of it, then don't you want others to know it? See, the apostles, the apostles were delivered from the prison not for their own comfort, but in order to go and to preach and to teach this message so that still others would hear it. Two, two quotes today, two quotes this morning from Calvin. Calvin says this, The Lord sets his people free 
Not so they not so they can abandon the course they started, but rather so they can be more keen in the future. We are not to give up. We are to carry on doing the work. We are to go with the full message. You know, sometimes today so many Christians start well. Then, for whatever reason, kind of just fall away. It's not starting well that matters. It's finishing well. And here they are, right, right at the very heart of Jewish life, politically and spiritually, proclaiming this full message of new life that is only to be found in Jesus. Isn't it interesting to notice, I don't know if this has struck you or not, but isn't it interesting to notice that the apostles' concern was not for their own safety, nor was it for their freedom, nor even was it to defend themselves, but rather it was to proclaim Christ. They've just been in prison for doing that very thing. And we will see next time of how this of how despite being flogged, they still, day after day, in the temple courts <coughs> and from house to house, never stopped teaching and proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. And this full message of new life was what had changed them and they wanted in whatever time they had left they wanted as many as possible to hear it in order that it also might change them how important to us how important to me, how important to you, how important to us collectively as a church is this message of new life. May we ever speak it. May we ever live it so that others might come to know it. Let's pray.